Welcome to Dank Ferrick, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Tyler Mendelson, along with my co-host, Carlos Gomez. And we are here to talk about Star Wars, the original, A New Hope. The, the Star Wars? The Star Wars. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so the original, 1977, dude. Yeah. We're assuming, of course, that you, if you're listening to this, you hopefully have seen the original. Uh, if you haven't, uh, you should check it out. It's a really cool movie. If you haven't seen the original Star Wars, there's a problem if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's great. Let's yeah. just say that. But exactly. no, so we're going to basically the next, um, what, nine episodes mm-hmm. of our podcast, we are going to go through and basically do like little tidbits from each film that you might not know of, um, little insider knowledge about the production or the movies and just like go through our thoughts on them and really like dive deep into it. Yes, exactly. And uh, also this is a perfect opportunity because I'm sure many of you have seen Star Wars, maybe not as repeatedly as we do, but uh, it's a good opportunity to, you know, re- refresh back on the, the galaxy far, far away. And you know, where, where, where better to start than the beginning. Uh, exactly. Uh, Star Wars, as it was called, alone. It's only Star Wars. Later yeah, for those on, who don't know, yeah. it was it was just originally called Star Wars back when it was released in '77, but was later added to include the Episode Four tagline, "A New Hope." Yeah, but we'll get why that's that's that later on. <laughs> so we got to start, uh, of course, where any conversation about Star Wars should start um, with the the man himself, George Lucas. Exactly. George with a capital G. <laughs> As in God. <laughs> As in the creator. <laughs> and uh, he was a student in USC, University of Southern California in the 60s, I guess, the 70s. Yeah. He was very much like what that generation, that like the first generation of film school kids. He was in yeah. the, the group known as the Film Brats, as in Steven Spielberg. Um, Francis Ford Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. So yeah. So George was part of the group of filmmakers from the '70s that were uh, very involved in re- reinvigorating cinema because they were making like a lot of a tour work. Where, whereas um, uh, in the '50s and '60s, it got very big and like commercial, and Hollywood got very spectacle oriented. So before Star Wars, uh, George was in film school, and he graduated and made a short film called THX One One Three Eight, which won a bunch of contests. And uh, that short film later got adapted into a feature film. So he made right. two films before Star Wars. THX one one three eight. I'm sure you've heard the THX uh, thing from the the audio Turned into a company brand, which which it's it's his or it was, I guess. Now it's yeah. Disney's. And uh, American Graffiti, which was like a um, a restless youth. Uh, uh, it was like, a coming of age story yeah. for you know the 1950s and 60s. Which was very like oriented in like car culture and how yes cars, and diners, cars and, and diners and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff. It was <laughs> Prom, great yeah. film, Whatever. very fun. I first saw it when I was in high school and I loved it. Yeah, I love THX. Uh, THX to me is like the classic because it's also like very much him being like the sad film boy, which talks about how humanity is. Yeah, doomed. THX is like the definitive, like early 
George Lucas like sort of project where you know it's super super artistic and out there and people don't really understand it or like you know it, it's not the norm and yeah. it's not a that, pop movie yeah not at all and that's not something we've really seen from other filmmakers of this generation. Um, and he, he really like defined what it was to be like a independent filmmaker. Yeah. And it wasn't successful either. The one that was successful oh, yeah. was, was American graffiti, but yeah. off of him uh, being like a gloom sort of pessimistic, uh, not cynical, but like a pessimistic worldview view of the, of what was coming up of humanity, I guess uh, his great mentor, Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the the Godfather films, Apocalypse Now, etc., uh, mm -hmm. uh, defied him to make uh, a movie for young people, a movie that was actually optimistic and hopeful, and that uh, you know it moved and it it was it was moving to people for, for audiences. Basically, is what he was trying to to defy him to to do. Right. And uh, so along comes him with the idea for the Star Wars, which was sort of a ripoff of <laughs> not a ripoff but kind of inspired by Flash Gordon uh, and uh, like the early serials from the thirties. Yeah. He, he really, kid in the he Saturday really liked mornings. those, those old comic serials um, from when he was young and he actually wanted to make a Flash Gordon film mm -hmm. and they would not give him the rights. Could, is, like, could you imagine if that, like if he did that instead and star Wars just never existed? It, that would be just, crazy. It's insane. Would would Flash Gordon be now as big as Star Wars? Like, would he? Highly, highly <laughs> doubt it. Like, I don't think George Lucas would be a billionaire. I don't think, like, I think he would have made maybe a couple mil on that movie at most. And, and then, then just go to the next that's, movie. That, that's probably the last we'd ever even hear of him. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Who knows? He, he would show up again. But so, so yes, it was a time like uh, post-Vietnam where there was a lot of cynicism towards the American government. So out of this cynicism and this like shady sort of uh, morally gray era of the 70s came this fresh air, which was the innocence and the spirit of, of Star Wars, uh, which was a throwback film. Um, it's funny because now we see things that are throwback to the 70s and 80s. And those things sometimes are making throwbacks of the throwbacks. And uh, <laughs> It's weird when you when you sort of like go back to the the genesis of what they were originally trying to emulate or homage, like right. in the case of George Lucas, it was Flash Gordon, and it was also uh, the great filmmaker who revered uh, the Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. And, and the so with that, um, George as a filmmaker really took to the the awesome. Uh, filmmakers that he learned from and he wanted to build upon that the lessons that he learned from them and he really took into Akira Kurosawa's filmmaking uh, techniques and storylines and with that came a lot of the mythology aspect that he learned from Joseph Campbell with the hero of a thousand faces and Joseph Campbell of course was uh, a writer who spoke about the monomyth about how all stories and mythology stemmed from the same place and they're all very similar and all the heroes that we know from from every culture go through this rite of passage the same kind of challenges that they have to overcome in order to like conquer and like lift the sword of the stone or you know 
whatever it is that trial that symbolic trial that makes them go from being a, a kid into being an adult there's basically a call to adventure a you know they deny the call at first and then there's this you know step into action because of some kind of unfortunate event changes their perspective or the you know their their call that makes them want to go on this journey they meet the people that they're going to meet along the way and then you know they go into the belly of the beast and you know they're faced with this task and then the hero comes out with the reward and then it's the return home and it's sort of this repetitive cycle that we see in a lot of films today that really a lot of it started with kurosawa and george really followed into that and now you know we see so much more of it with with this just classic um you know stereotype of a a hero's journey and you know we see it with the hobbit harry potter lord of the rings like all these different um series that we love it's like the main book uh because i remember when we were in film school they would tell us like this is the book that all hollywood is run uh through you know and even even if they don't read it they know like the they know the cliff notes version you know exactly <laughs> which is uh, um is what you're saying it's those same beats the story beats that like get you there uh, exactly. to be to becoming the hero yep. and so george followed that slavishly and uh he took the the bubblegum sort of fun popcorn spectacle and adventuresome aspect of flash gordon and merged it with the soulful and like uh, um what do you call it like panache I guess of Kurosawa, uh, and try to make like a, a a movie that was both spiritual and like you know good for the soul, and uh, but also fun. So it was, it was made for audiences, and that right. like secret combo is the it's it's the reason why we're talking still about Star Wars. Exactly. It's the reason why there are however many sequels, spinoffs, whatever. It's because it's about. It's about the force. It's about religion in a subliminal sense. It's not about one religion. It's about every religion. It's about sp- spirituality. It's about humanity, spirituality, you know, it's- stories that everyone of every generation could learn from and understand and pass on. Exactly. So a lot of the, the story beats were directly translated from Hidden Fortress, uh, which is a, a Akira Kurosawa movie. Uh, in which a uh, princess has to like cross from one side of the kingdom to the yeah. other, protected by mm-hmm. by a samurai, and there are like the two side like goofy sidekicks, which is basically R two and three PO. Right. So uh, he has this script. He brings it to all over the place. Every studio sh- gets shut down because it doesn't make sense and it's so weird. And you it's, have to think at the time, sci-fi was already just like a a sort of super low budget B movie type of thing where it was just like these crappy depressing like horror type films were coming out and no studio really wanted to take a chance on anything like that. They didn't understand. No one understood his vision. And uh, he ended up going to 20th century Fox and Alan Ladd Jr. And Ladd was someone who really respected Lucas as a filmmaker. And he, saw the talent that he had he didn't really understand star wars the concept and like he didn't believe in the film at all but he's like you know what i'm you know i've looked at this guy's work and i can see that he's talented and you know i'm willing to give him a shot and it was because of that he was able to get you know this whole thing going and 
the so the budget for Star Wars uh, was initially ten million dollars, but it was boosted up to eleven to eleven to twelve million after it was completed. But the crazy thing is the deal that George Lucas had to get the film made. So he took a massive pay cut as a director. To... Everything everything started going wrong. Everything started costing more money. They were behind schedule. So there's a lot of things that happened. To, you're talking about the merchandising, right? There's a there's a bunch. I'm, of I was going to get into that, yeah. but okay. So there's a bunch of stuff that like gets you there because ten million dollars, which was the starting uh, initial budget, wasn't that much. I mean, it's not little. It isn't a super low budget, but it isn't like a lot either. Exactly. Yeah. And at that time, today would be we wouldn't talk about those numbers. Yeah. Um, so so the movie starts. There are no movie stars in the movie at all. It's all like unknowns. The only person he, he cast that became later a movie star, I'm sorry to everyone else, to all the other cast members, don't feel bad. <laughs> but the only person he got that became later a movie star was Harrison Ford. The reason why he got Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford was a, a carpenter who was working in one of the offices, the casting offices. Mm -hmm. And he got asked to read opposite the other actors. Uh, for Han Solo, but it wasn't like he wasn't getting cast. The, you know, yeah. it wasn't for for his audition. It was for yep. other people's auditions. And um, he kept reading, like reading off off camera. And eventually, they were like, "Yeah, why don't we just do <laughs> get this guy? I mean, he knows what's up. He's he's kind of familiar <laughs> with the thing already." Uh, the reason Lucas was hesitant about it was because Harrison Ford had a small role in American Graffiti. And he didn't want to uh, reuse actors. He wanted fresh faces. Yeah, he always wanted to use new faces in his projects. And he wanted to use completely unknown yeah. people, essentially. Yeah, so we get like, like the main three. And um, none of them were, were famous. Uh, it, was, it was kind of eerie to actually like watch the casting call. Oh, yeah. And to see the different people act out as like Leia and um, you know, Luke yeah. and you all that. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's just very bizarre. Yeah, the the best is uh, Kurt Russell as Han. You seen that? <laughs> yeah. But also, also the the bizarre the, the, to me the most bizarre thing is George Lucas's dialogue. I mean, the dialogue in the movie is weird because it's Star Wars, but the dialogue in the audition you could tell that it was like a very early draft. Yeah, we're talking the the biggest nonsense, and you see all these great actors trying to make it sound like it's na it's natural and that it's real. And it's so hard because, mm -hmm. I mean, we all know, like, how sometimes some actors can live up to George's writing because it's so out there and weird and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of children's theater in a, in, a, in a weird sort of way sometimes. And uh, so you can find those clips online. Please look them up because they're, some of them are really funny. And uh, you can also see, like, the beginnings of, well, I think the, the, the Mark Hamill one was great. Oh because, yeah, because he was so like uh, innocent and into it, and and he was he wasn't like winking at the camera at all. Mm -hmm. He was so in it. Uh, yeah, he he was definitely born for that role. He just kind of brought this like innocent, like you know, farm boy type sense to that role, and he um he read the lines really well. I mean, like you know, there's that classic line there he's talking about, like I doubt the defenses are as blah 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 on Aquila yeah. and Sullust and like he you know he he just read it so naturally to how jarring the language was. <laughs> it's the best. So it's like 
there's no surprise that he got the role. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the Carrie Fisher also killed it. I mean, mm-hmm. she she is the she, it, it's her war, you know. She's the leader. Yeah. And um, then we get to the 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 other actress, uh, Peter Cushing, who is known for making the low budget horror films you were referring to earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was still like a revered actor. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, you know, he has like a, a secondary role as Grand Moff Tarkin. Which is a great performance, a great character. He was Tarkin, a great villain. A great villain, and it's it's one of those great one-off villains because it's never. I mean, he's in the the yeah, show. He's in Rogue stuff. One after his death. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> Isn't him though? Post-mortem <laughs> performance. <laughs> yeah, we can get into the. We we probably get to that at some point because that's yeah. that's weird. <laughs> and uh, um, but the big one, the big draw, like the one movie star is Alec Guinness, whom uh, uh, at that point was in the 60s, and he was the, the mentor role. He wasn't mm-hmm. one of the main... The, the, he wasn't one of the, the, the ones that had the action, and um, that like sort of gave, gave it a little legitimacy because it was such a, um established like Shakespearean actor. Yeah, uh, he, he did a lot of stage work, and he was in Lawrence of Arabia and a bunch of other projects and he was a you know a very established actor yeah, but yeah. all of the actors just thought that you know the film was a joke and yeah. they didn't understand it and it was just like <laughs> gonna be a big shit show yeah the, no the one in the crew because the, the no the, one started believed filming. in this project yeah they were filming it in tunisia for the desert portions in in london for the in studio stuff l3 studios l3 studios and like there are stories about like the 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 crew members just laughing laughing off the movie because it was like what is this like there's some guy dresses bigfoot it was just basically a mockery and the only person who believed in the project was george I'm sure at some point, even he himself was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. He had to have been <laughs> panicking during the production. Oh, I mean, yeah. There's no way. So because everything went that. wrong. Because everything went over budget. Everything went over schedule. Um, you know, it was just all going wrong. Nobody believed in it. The studio didn't believe in it. The studio wanted to pull the plug on it, actually. Yeah. And um, trying to make these uh, visual effects, which at the time, it wasn't really... Like to, nowadays, CGI is so commonplace that you don't even think about it and how you take for granted the, the, the visual effects. But at that time, there wasn't any visual effects at all. There wasn't the anything. So he was forced to create his own studio, a visual effects studio, in order to, you know, make the, <laughs> to finish his movie. Industrial. You gotta, you gotta think, like at this time, the only like really amazing production when it came to special effects prior to this was 2001 a space odyssey yeah and that came out in what 66 68 68 so you know to get this kind of technical achievement done he he had nothing to work off of he had to basically create everything from scratch yeah so he basically just hired a bunch of these guys who did all these crazy different like little wacky jobs on the side and was like hey i I'm trying to build this, you know, movie studio that does like special effects. Would you like to do it? And they just basically started out working out of a garage and putting it together, these little models and, yeah. you know, blowing them up and, you know, doing all these crazy Super little things. Like at the and time it was so, so it, it was just, it was just work out of a garage and yeah. they just made it into this 
thing that we all know and love because, you know, they just put all their heart into it. And it, it was basically all just George's innovation and his creative mind. So uh, George was in that uh, post-production process and it was all, of course, going horribly wrong. The movie was being edited and it wasn't coming together. None of it was making any sense. It wasn't tracking. Uh, the pace was all slow and it just didn't have the energy that he hoped it had. He wanted to channel that like flash forward energy. Can I just say yes. George's famous line as his directing, you know, critique for his actors, faster, more intense, faster, more intense, faster, yeah. more intense. That's what he would tell them every single time. Yeah. And they got and, sick of it. They made a joke out of it. Yeah. The actors also like always tried to cheer up George. Because <laughs> they, they all, saw how much of a meltdown it yeah, was. They could tell he was so miserable. And they were always trying to like make, you know, trying to uh, make light of everything and like be goofy around him. But he was just sitting in a corner like, oh my God. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> my life is in shambles. His life was in shambles at that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, so also ILM was delivering these effect shots and none of them were getting approved. Like, they yeah. were all being rejected by George. They were like, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. So they were trying to iterate and reiterate and reiterate. And he wasn't really happy with, with the results. And um, this is all happening. And they were filming. They were doing reshoots. They were doing new stuff. Alan Ladd Jr., who we talked about, the executive in Fox, was also, like, screaming at people at the studio, telling them that, no, you got to trust them. You got to trust them. Because the studio was like, we got to pull the plug. Exactly. We can't waste any more money on this. And he's like, no, dude, let's just get it done. <laughs> <laughs> We're so close. We flew too close to the sun. They all thought it was just going to be a disaster and they weren't going to make their money back. Yeah. And George was just like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I'm going all in. And oh. he basically took a massive pay cut for his directing and writing. Yeah. And he the genius that he is and the confidence that he had in his project that no one else saw on him is he said, all right, I will take this pay cut, but I want all the merchandising rights and the rights to any sequels. And of course the studio was like, this is, this is great. Like, you know, we're, you know, we're saving money by having this hack director take a massive pay cut for this loser project. That's not going to go anywhere. And we're basically not going to owe him anything because the project's not going to go anywhere. Also, mind you, at that point, merchandising in movies wasn't that big of a deal. It was unheard of, essentially. Yeah, exactly. But he was like, no, don't worry. I'll have the merchandise rights. You can have my pay, like, pay cut. Just give me the money for, to finish this. And they were like, oh, great. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's like the biggest, like when you go, go back in history, that's the biggest checkmate. <laughs> literally yeah literally the greatest deal of all time ever in the history of mankind for some a single person to have made because it's crazy you never would have expected any of this to happen for a filmmaker to just essentially take a project from nothing and then just be like all right i'm going all in on you know merchandising and you know any sequels and no one thinking anything of it and then suddenly it's just the biggest thing ever created and mind you because this happens in in movies all the time in franchise movies 
where the studio owns the the rights to the like the property you know the franchise what's a good example like the director for um superman or it happened with jaws as well steven spielberg made the first one right it wasn't up to him whether or not the second one was going to be made i mean he could yeah. like participate if he wanted to probably but the studio is the one that said leo this was a big money maker let's make another one and is what's it going to be about yeah. who gives a shit let's make another one because it's just printing money studios and, uh, are only about money and they saw it as this perfect way to cut some of their losses but george just just took a giant leap of faith exactly and it just paid off bigger than anything anyone could have imagined and obviously that's why he's a billionaire and so when star wars became a huge success whether or not there was going to be another one it was entirely up to him and he had complete creative control the studio if the studio hadn't done that deal the studio would have been the ones that were saying like you know let's make another one uh, they wouldn't have used george and it probably, probably would have turned out entirely different and we probably wouldn't even care about it and it wouldn't be anything so uh the whole thing is happening the editing is happening it isn't coming together george calls on his wife marshall his wife at the time marsha lucas uh and paul hirsch who, who are ed editors for for them to recut the movie um in whatever way he saw fit and whatever way they saw fit and they were recutting the movie like off hours and the movie was like unwatchable before that after it they after they cut out all the like the 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 crazy george, uh, george lucas dialogue and a lot of the, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the things that bogged down the movie which i mean the man is not infallible he's not the the greatest dialogue writer um he's one of the worst dialogue writers but yeah did you see That's an article the other day when he was talking about how people didn't get it in the prequels no, no. he was talking about how people didn't get his dialogue in the prequels. <laughs> And I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, I it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, it's, it's also the great thing about it is that he doesn't give a shit if you liked it or not. Yeah. He's like, I mean, I mean, he probably like actually cares because he's a human with feelings, but. But he's, he's like, true to his vision no matter what. Exactly. He's just going to make his movies. Mm -hmm. So he was doing his thing and um, they were recutting it. It was working out better. Uh, ben Bird got involved. Ben Bird was the sound designer. He invented everything. That's the crazy thing about, like, people say whether or not Empire and A New Hope was this best. It's, it's like a usual conversation. Yeah. But the thing about A New Hope or Star Wars, as it was called, it came, it was nothing, and then there was Star Wars. You know, and Empire you was have to standing think. on the shoulders of the first one yeah and there was no lightsaber none of sounds. these sounds had existed no exactly he had to create all of these things from his mind and into yeah from scratch into actual things to make us see what this world is and hear the sounds that we hear that are so iconic like the tie and, fighter the lightsaber yeah. like you know even if you have never seen Star Wars or don't know anything about Star Wars, only have only caught some of it on TV or whatever, you know what a lightsaber sounds like. Yep. You know what Darth Vader, uh, that His Darth breathing Vader's sounds breathing like. sounds like. Yeah. You know, you know what what a blaster probably sounds like. Uh, so many little things. R two D two. I mean Chewbacca. Uh, so many oh. like. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Tyler's rendition. Uh, <laughs> you should have been there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many like uh, crazy like inventions that we take so much for granted now 
started with Ben Bird, the sound designer. So uh, uh, speaking of sound, we have to, I mean, we have to go to the big one, which to me is, is the, the thing that, I mean, there's so many things that make Star Wars iconic, but the music, the music, the music, the music. John I 100% agree. I think I think the music that John Williams did is the most iconic part of Star Wars that make it what it is and the thing that will long be remembered for it. You know, we talk about the sounds that, you know, people can know of even if they haven't seen it, but the music everyone knows the classic themes. Yeah. And it was uh Steven Spielberg who had worked with um John Williams in Jaws. On Jaws, yeah. He's the one who recommended it to George. You know, you gotta check out this guy, Johnny Williams. He's a great jazz uh, guy. (laughs) 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 And then, you know, John Williams shows up and kills it. You also have to think of how weird it must have been. Like, you know, before this movie was out, when Mm -hmm. no one really knew what the fuck it was, for this weird sci-fi space movie thing to have a full fucking orchestra. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, like uh, why, why is an orchestra playing for this space sci-fi movie? Well, it's like full opera. It's, mm-hmm. it's tapping into the opera of it. But, and... you know, that, that had to have been what people thought at the time because you had never seen anything like this. Or Well, also, know. sci-fi became very... The thing is, people speak about Star Wars in terms of sci-fi, which is I, understandable, of course, but I see it more as like fantasy in space. That it's a fan, it's a fantasy space. opera, space opera. Exactly, it's fantasy space opera. The sci-fi is just like the dressing. Yep, you it's know, a family, uh, it's a family drama. But when you get down to it, it isn't about the robots. It isn't about the technology. It isn't about the, a lot of the things that sci-fi hangs itself on. Yep, uh, it's really more of like the wizard. It's more like a Wizard of Oz or like a fairy tale. It's more. It's more about the fantasy elements. Yeah. Uh, uh, the spirituality of the Force. The Force is the fantasy element. Mm-hmm. It's really the core of Star Wars. Yeah. So uh, at that point, sci-fi had been very much about synth-like sounds. Because they try sound, to make it sound futuristic. Exactly. The sound wasn't as organic. But Star Wars sound was super warm and organic. And um, it, that's, that's the thing that sells it, I think. John Williams. Like That's like the last fairy dust at the end. And, and I think he, it's one of those things that George has said. It's the only part of the process where he doesn't get in, like too involved. Mm-hmm. It's just like do, do your thing, and I'll just sit back and watch. Because the whole thing. everything John Williams touches is gold. It's like cheating. I think J.J. Abrams said at some <laughs> point that working with John Williams is like cheating. It because basically it's is not only magical. Uh, Two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, also used classical music, and that was yeah. a sci-fi type film, but. That one used already known classical music, and it did not have the same kind of effect that Star Wars had by any means whatsoever. Yeah. Also, uh, Kubrick is a colder filmmaker. You know. Oh yeah. He's a little bit more detached, <laughs> I think. Uh, you can say that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, he's a great filmmaker. He's one of my favorites, but yeah. uh, man, but, that, um, that guy is distinct. But the Star Wars wears its heart in its sleeve. Uh, the emotions are big. Everything is big. That's the reason why it, it translated everywhere. This project released uh, May 25th, 1977 in 32 theaters. 32 theaters across America. Yeah. That's nothing. 
that's absolutely nothing. It was it was basically just a joke. And then obviously people went to it and were like, holy shit, this is sick. Yeah. Everyone loved it. The kids loved it. And it blew up and then it got into more theaters. Theaters were fighting to get it into them. And uh, it just, you know, it blew up worldwide. And the aftermath of that is that suddenly George, this guy who's known for making like super artistic movies, you know, had a franchise on his hands. He, he had something that he had to keep feeding in order for it to keep making what it did. And um, Star Wars became a big deal and ILM became bigger. And now he had the, the merchandising rights and the sequel rights. So he was like, ka-ching. <laughs> All those Kenner toys. Those yeah. people were so unprepared for what oh, was Oh, so for. unprepared. <laughs> there are stories of like, uh, so the thing was they sold you, I mean, I, we were in there, we were in around the 70s, but they sold you like a cardboard. Uh, uh, it was it was literally a, a cardboard stamp that said, we're yeah. promising you that we're going to send you these these toys because they weren't even ready to be made like they had such a limited stock because it yeah. was so unexpected to be a hit that they literally had to sell these little like cardboard coupons saying that like oh this is your voucher for you know a star wars toy when it comes out in a couple months like it'll, yeah. they, they send it through the mail Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's so funny when you think about <laughs> how unprepared they were. And it, it was just like some low-end toy company. Like, they weren't, you know, that big. No, not at all. They were kind of, I mean, and also, um, you got to think about it. That's, that's where, the, where George made the money. Yep, all of like, it. The movie, whatever the movie made, it wasn't there. It was the... He made 1,000-fold on the merchandise. And, you know, Star Wars became the highest grossing film of all time. It also had, like, big effects moving forward in Hollywood because everything became spectacle. And it's, I think it's one of the things that people sometimes talk negatively about Star Wars is about how it has, quote-unquote, dumbed-down movies, made everything lowbrow, and, like, it had to be, like, super popular and, like, um, packaged in a certain way in order for mass audiences to consume it. I think that's like what you see nowadays with like the Marvel movies and and uh, yeah, whatever agree. you know uh, movies about like big spectacle and hero's journey. Just and big tentpole movies. Big tentpole movies in general. They all became yeah. kind of like modeled after Star Wars uh, because it was one of the first blockbusters. But yeah, so the movie is out. It's great, but Tyler, let's talk about yes. the movie itself. This is where the fun begins. This is where the fun begins, 45 <laughs> minutes in. Uh, what, <laughs> what do you love? Like, give me like a rundown in the, the content of the movie itself. What are some of your great like highlights? So for me, I would say at least compared to the other Star Wars films, mm-hmm. it is definitely the highlight for George Lucas's dialogue. And even even with the other writers of Star Wars, like, you know, Lawrence Kasdan and everything, I think this one was written the best with the characters in mind. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you could say that, too, about Empire. But I would say just the way he wrote these characters was perfect. And, you know, we don't see that, obviously, again, with the sequels or the, the prequel trilogy, where... You know, it was so sharp and witty and quick and just, you know, pitch perfect. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I attribute some of that to the the editing that we talked about, about how a lot of it was like saved in editing. And I, yeah. and I feel like I have a feeling that like his wife probably was like, this is too convoluted and mm -hmm. just probably cut out a bunch of edges. And whatever know? she did worked yeah. magically. Yeah. But um, yeah, other than that, I think just how simple of a story it is mm -hmm. um, compared to the larger scale ones that came after it was something to be respected. And, you know, it's just the perfect like fairy tale kind of movie that doesn't need this kind of massive explanation of what's going on or he watching a fucking walking hairy guy in a fucking space station or, you know, it's just the way, the way it was explained in the story was just so simple, but it just worked. Yeah. The simplicity of it is what really worked. Yeah. And you don't need to watch the other ones, to be honest. Like, I think you can get you really everything. Like, I think you can get everything out of Star Wars. Every, like, all the themes, the messages, the, the, the tone. Everything you need to know about Star Wars, you can get from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Everything else is gravy, and it's great gravy. But it's the that first excellent, movie. delicious, juicy yeah, fucking exactly. Thanksgiving gravy where you're just sitting there with your fat ass gut. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the first one, like the first one is the base and it has everything. And like there, there isn't like a thing where like, like to be continued too much in the first one. I mean, there's, there, there are sort of options available for future it could have ended the there and you would have been fine that you yeah. know the empire was defeated the heroes won and exactly that's and that's like speaks to the simplicity of it yeah um and and also the movie kind of changes a little bit when you've seen the prequel stuff and rogue one and everything i feel like every movie subsequent movie recontextualizes the previous movies yeah um and i think that happened to this movie uh and i think it works with the recontextualization and without the context as well like if you watch it only like as a standalone and i think if you watch it only as a standalone it works better with the original unaltered movie because george made changes to it later on in the 90s and um <laughs> <laughs> uh, he got a little carried away <laughs> yeah that's the only like commercially available version of the movie um which is sad like everyone wants to see the original i just hope ones. to god one day disney plus hears people's like cries for you know attention for i don't, I don't the original I highly doubt it original cut films to just I put bet them on you, disney plus i bet you like one of that's one of the things that um like the, the the fine print in the contract for, <laughs> yeah, when, George, for George, when George signed it over to Disney. Sold it to Disney. You can never, uh, you can you can never release the original cuts. Yeah, like the, the my movies. The special the special editions that I did. Exactly, like, like you can't touch my movies. Like only I touch my movies. My clanky. My clanky. Yeah, that's the latest one. <laughs> so um, I think it's in order to speak about the negatives as well. Do you have any negatives about New Hope? I wish, I wish the fight between Vader and Obi-Wan was just a little bit better. Like for how simple of a film it was. And at the time, of course, you know, we didn't see anything else afterwards. But, you know, we go from, 
it knowing in like the Star Wars storyline context, we go from Mustafar where it's just like, you know, crazy super fast paced jumps and all that stuff to two old guys in a hallway and Vader's like, yeah, I'm stronger now, old man. <laughs> They're just you know swinging they- <laughs> these swords around. Yeah, I mean, you know what they have to do now to bridge that gap of Mustafar to the thing is in the Kenobi show. They're gonna I don't, have a, I don't they're want to have a slow ass anymore. fight. <laughs> they're gonna have a slow ass fight to to justify <laughs> in a new hope how how slow they are. We're just gonna see their reflexes like declining. Exactly. I feel the same way. I mean, um the fight I, I forgive it because it's it is what it is and you know behind the scenes it, there wasn't any stunt doubles. It was Alec Guinness versus yeah. Uh, exactly. David Prowse. It wasn't even the stunt double inside the Vader costume. It was just the guy who does it regularly. So I get it. And yeah, it isn't the most wonderfully choreographed, but it means so much mm-hmm. in the story. But also I think I think it works better, as I was saying, in the original unaltered version. Right. Because the whole thing is super lo fi. So yep. it, it makes sense. But in the special edition, when you see when you see the CGI editions and you know how how to what lengths he went to like make it feel bigger and and more you know uh grand it 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 does stick out like a sore thumb when they're fighting and um it, it doesn't hold up as well as the other stuff um yeah, yeah. but you agree. Know. i would honestly say though that is my only downfall of the movie i i think it is literally one of the greatest films of all time i think mm. just as a standalone film not even like star wars i think as a standalone project it is just perfect and nothing really has come close as far as like you know a film having all positives and no like barely any negatives i think just the story the writing direction the effects everything just the tone to me is the thing that the tone to me is the thing that like sells it like the 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 innocence of it it's uh, such an innocent project. Yeah. Such an innocent It's got the heart. It's got the heart. So much heart. And it, that, that innocence, that like going back to basics feel of it, is what like, uh, uh, it's a timeless. It's what makes it timeless. Because yep. that like human experience will never end. Uh, like the spirituality of it, you know, it'll go on forever. So you can watch that movie anytime. As a kid, I, so I watched the prequels first. Right, yeah. As and I was like, oh my god, this is awesome! Like <laughs> samurais in space, weird shit happening, uh, uh, goofy characters, nice. <laughs> like special effects that are amazing for their time. <laughs> and then I watched A New Hope, and I was like, oh, this is like the thing I watched, but but less. <laughs> <laughs> Not to say lesser, but. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like, I don't uh, like. It wasn't my favorite one because of that, because I was just into the flashy shit. Yeah. And um, but watching it now, it's definitely like inverted itself in in my in my. Because as you got older, you understood more. But like for me, I'm I'm grateful that I was able to watch the you know the original trilogy when I was youngest and mm-hmm. watch the the prequels afterward. Mm-hmm. Um. It just has so much heart, and you know when when Luke is staring out at those twin sons, that mm. that's all of us. That's all. And of the us. Mu- the music there, it, it, God, it's just so iconic. It's so. Pr- I want to watch it right now. So I what- no. wait, 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 hold on. Yeah. You know what my favorite thing is? 
What? So I'll literally be driving on the parkway going, you know, 65 miles an hour. And I have my, you know, my, my iPhone playing music off of my phone and Star Wars soundtrack will come on and it'll be like, you know, the TIE fighter assault. Yeah. And the music's just going dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 And I immediately just start speeding up and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also listen to it all the time. When you, if you if you ever get the chance to listen to Duel of Fates when you're driving, mm-hmm. you're in I for have. a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> and between Empire and Star Wars the original, I would say easily the two most quotable movies for me ever. Like yeah. I can literally recite the movies verbatim. Me too, probably. Probably, Actually, I would. I would say at least ninety-five to ninety-seven percent. So I have two movie. favorite. I think I have like two. Like one of my favorite lines of all of Star Wars is, "Most Eisley Spaceport, you will never find the most wretched hive of scum and villainy. You must be cautious, because who speaks like that?" Now, this one time I was riding around, just rolling around in the fucking ghetto. And I was yeah. like, just driving by myself, just looking at these fucking crusty old buildings and, you know, sketchy people outside. And I just randomly go, the juddling wastes are not to be traveled lightly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I'm such a fucking loser. And it comes up to, when we lived together, we talked in Star Wars quotes constantly. constantly. And our like roommates there was nothing else. driven insane. Yeah. Uh, that that I love that line, and and one of the great lines that I love in the movie because it just makes me laugh so much, even though it isn't one of the funniest lines, and it's kind of random. But um, when they rescue Leia, and Leia says, uh, "You like you bro- broke in, you didn't have a plan to get out," and Han w- just looks at her like, "Maybe you prefer back in your cell, Your yeah. Highness." <laughs> I, for some reason, I get such a kick out of that line. Like, him just looking at her, like, really? <laughs> see, they had such a, a connection. I mean, obviously, now we know that they were having an affair. Yeah. Harrison was married, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. But the, the connection they had, the, the dynamic was just perfect. And the, the lines that they go back and forth with are just brilliant. So sharp. So sharp. And it isn't, it, it's very unlike George. When you compare it to the other stuff he wrote, look at the prequels and <laughs> yeah, less less sharp. It less just sharp. thank God we got what we got and not yeah, episode two. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, dude, Star Wars is just you can inject the movie into my veins all day long, and I, I'm I'm in for it, dude. I'd much rather take a new hope into my veins than the COVID vaccine right now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm actually getting the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just put that out there for, so people don't freak out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> little, little COVID-19 joke. <laughs> yeah, it's going to age well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so please, 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 uh, if you haven't seen this movie in a while, if you listen to it and you haven't seen it in a while, please check it out because it's so magical and it's so worth it. Yeah, go back and watch it and uh, – think about the the kind of things we talked about about the production and uh we'll see on the next one where we talk about episode five the empire strikes back also known as one of the best movies of all time the greatest movie of all time yes thank you have a good one and may the force be with you always
prosperity. <laughs>